Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey everybody, I'm Robert Evans, and this is Myanmar, Printing the Revolution, Part 2. Since the dawn of firearms, regular people all over the world have had the same basic idea. Maybe if I made myself a gun, the government wouldn't be able to be such a dick to me. Historically, this has had little impact on the willingness of governments to be dicks to people. In the beginning, all gun manufacturing was done by individual artisans, and thus making a gun in your home was really no different from making it in a shop, as long as you had the proper tools. Guns in this period weren't super useful on their own, and were best fired in a volley by a shitload of dudes at once. Since individual firearms were extremely inaccurate and cumbersome to use, the fact that some poor blacksmith could make himself one wasn't much of a threat to anybody in power. It did mean that battlefield prowess came from large blocks of trained soldiers, not feudal lords on horseback rallying untrained peasants. This change in technology led to a change in warfare, and helped to change society. As firearms evolved and became the central weapons of battle, they required more intense tooling and more expensive manufacturing capacity. Nations and peoples without the know-how or infrastructure were at a tremendous disadvantage. As soon as this situation came into being, these unfortunate communities set to work finding ways to gain the advantages of firearms without the manufacturing capacity their foes enjoyed. 
Indigenous canons in regions resisting imperialism often consisted of composite materials, less sturdy than bronze or iron. In the 1600s and 1700s, indigenous Americans in South America used wooden cannons to fight against Spanish and Portuguese conquerors. The Vietnamese used wooden cannons to resist the French during the Cochin China Campaign of 1862. American Indians used wooden artillery to blast settler fortifications in the 1700s and 1800s. In the months that led up to the outbreak of the Revolutionary War, the men who fought to create the United States busied themselves building rifles and cannons in their homes and communities to resist the English. This trend has never really stopped in warfare. The day before we recorded this, James, my partner in this series, sent me a screen grab from a live stream of someone in Ukraine printing pieces for AK-47s on a 3D printer. Firearms manufactured outside the arms industry have played a role in every conflict of the modern era. But as you've probably guessed, they have had the greatest influence in the little wars of colonialism. European nations rarely allowed any sort of firearms ownership in their colonies, except the individuals and ethnic groups that adopted as local enforcers. Since most of these places had never developed their own industrial base for an arms industry, Colonial rebellions often relied on homemade weapons in their early stages, along with modern firearms pilfered by deserting local soldiers. Where domestic productive capacity existed, European colonizing nations went out of their way to relocate it, along with the profit it generated to the metropole. Orwell reflected on this in his novel Burmese Days, saying, In the 18th century, the Indians cast guns that were at any rate up to the European standard. Now, after we've been in India 150 years, you can't make so much as a brass cartridge case in the whole continent. Meanwhile, among the colonizers, being armed became almost a synonym for being a man. This was particularly true for the colonial police forces and militaries. But it was also true domestically. Most people are broadly familiar with the US Second Amendment, the robust gun culture that it spawned. But during the height of colonialism, English citizens were also free to arm themselves. In 1900, Prime Minister Robert Gascoigne Cecil, Marquis of Salisbury, gave a speech in which he claimed he would lord the day when there was a rifle in every cottage in England. Firearms were utterly unrestricted at this point. The first change to this came in 1903, with the first law that required a permit to carry a handgun and restricted children from buying guns. Still, firearms were widely available until a red panic gripped the nation in 1919, following the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Across the ocean in Spain, where firearms ownership was less strictly restricted, and where Orwell himself would learn what it was to fire a rifle at someone who shot back, armed unions and working people served as the only bulwark to a military coup in 1936. In Madrid, one officer opened his armory to the Union militias, but another refused to hand over for the bolts for the guns they had been issued. In Barcelona, where the anarchist left had a long tradition of armed political violence, the coup was repelled by workers with guns, and the general leading troops there was imprisoned and executed. The same pattern played out all across the country in July 1936 when the military rose up to topple the elected government. In the cities where the government opened the armories to the people, the coup was repelled. In the cities where the government did not, the coup succeeded. Reflecting on this in 1941, Orwell wrote, The totalitarian states can do great things, but there is one thing they cannot do. They cannot give the factory worker a rifle, 
and tell him to take it home and keep it in his bedroom. That rifle on the wall of the labourer's cottage, or working-class flat, is a symbol of democracy. It's her job to see that it stays there. Despite Orwell's pleas, the years that followed the Second World War led to greater restrictions of the ability of the public to arm itself. By the 1950s, carrying any weapon for self-defense was illegal. Semi-automatic center-fire arms were banned in 1988, and pistols were banned in 1996, after a mass shooting killed 16 children in Dunblane. This was all utterly infuriating to a man named Philip A. Ludi. Ludi, born in 1965, grew up on a farm in West Yorkshire, England. We don't have a tremendous amount of detail about his upbringing, but by the time he was in his early 30s, he'd become a committed crusader for an unrestricted right to bear arms. A skilled machinist with a well-equipped shop, Ludi began the long process of learning how to craft homemade firearms. Soon he was building semi- and fully automatic weapons. Now, these were not military-grade firearms. The barrels were unrifled, which made them terribly inaccurate. But every piece could be crafted from widely available things, like sheet metal, washers, and screws. The person assembling a Ludi gun would need to be a skilled craftsman, but they would not need access to welding rigs, forges, or other expensive industrial equipment. Ludi published a book, Expedient Homemade Firearms, The 9mm Submachine Gun, in 1998, through Paladin Press. In the late 1990s, Paladin was one of the places you could go to mail-order fringe political literature and guides for stuff like trapping human beings or disabling the drive system of an Abrams tank. In the United States, nothing about Ludi's book was, or is, illegal. But Phil didn't live in the United States. He was arrested several times, starting in the late 1990s, when a pair of illegal home-built guns were found on his property. Ludi spent the rest of his life, which ended in 2011, operating a website where he raged against gun control. His main argument was that England was headed for totalitarianism, and, like Orwell, he believed only public ownership of arms could prevent this. Unlike Orwell, Ludi was firmly on the right wing. He traced society's problems to, quote, a combination of political correctness and anti-freedom of speech laws, legislation governing how we speak about such subjects as religion or a person's race, being just two examples. Words and phrases that have been used for centuries without malice are now insipid in people's mouths and said to cause offense by those very same speech police, who on the other hand turn a blind eye to the violence, foul language, and sexual references blasted daily through our TV sets, a phenomenon that really does cause offense to many people. Ludi never succeeded in sparking a renaissance in civilian arms ownership in the UK, but his ideas were adopted by organized criminal groups all around the world. In Brazil, Ludi guns can go for as much as $2,500. From 2011 to 2012, nearly half of the submachine guns seized by police in Sao Paulo were homemade. Most of these arms were certainly used as tools by drug dealers or other gangsters. But some of them were surely also the tools of citizens, who simply sought a way to defend themselves in a place with no real rule of law. Ludi guns have long been popular among motorcycle gangs in Australia, and in October of 2019, a fascist terrorist carried out the last of that year's 8chan shootings in Halle, Germany, with a Ludi gun. His weapons, thankfully, did not work well. As a general rule, looty guns were never going to be of much use to anyone besides organized criminals. They aren't great in a gunfight, but you can use them to spray bullets into a room or a vehicle at close range pretty well. The year after Phil Ludi died, 2012, a fellow named Cody Wilson decided to carry on his work. 
Cody felt 3D printing carried the possibility of eventually manufacturing arms of a quality that might rival traditionally produced guns. He started simple, with a single-shot 380 handgun based around the old Liberator pistol from World War II. The Liberator had been a single-shot 45 caliber handgun, meant to be dropped into Nazi-occupied territories and used by insurgents to stealthily kill single German soldiers and take their guns. Cody Wilson described himself as a crypto-anarchist, and when his ideas began to draw attention, he dropped out of law school to create Defense Distributed. This organization was dedicated to the development and distribution of plans to craft 3D-printed weapons. It used a platform called DEFCAD to allow users to develop and share blueprints. In 2013, the first CAD gun file became available online to everyone. It was downloaded more than 100,000 times in two days. I'd like to quote now from an article on the website 3D Natives. This prompted the U.S. government to demand that Defense Distributed remove the file from their site. What followed is a legal battle between Cody Wilson and the U.S. government, consisting of back-and-forth lawsuits. It lasted five years, until in 2018, the Trump administration legalized 3D-printed guns. The same year, Wilson was charged with sexual assault of an underage girl and had to step down from Defense Distributed. Nonetheless, the organization did not cease to exist without Cody. Today, for a yearly fee of $50, users of the DEFCAD website can access the files containing different designs of 3D printed guns. And I should note here that it's probably more accurate to say the Trump administration legalized sharing the plans and printing the files and whatnot of 3D printed guns, not legalized 3D printed guns. Homemade firearms have been federally legal in the United States since forever. The fighting in the courts over all this has continued ever since, and in 2019, a federal judge in Seattle temporarily blocked DEFCAD. This sparked the creation of a new group, Deterrence Dispensed, which was even less centralized. The basic idea was that this would make them harder to take down via lawsuits or police action. Not stated was that this might also protect their reputation from a Cody Wilson situation. The debate over the legality of 3D-printed firearm plans continues on to the present day, but the development of these arms has continued at an ever-faster pace. The best modern 3D-printed arms can even rival conventional guns. It's worth emphasizing that these are not purely plastic tools. The Liberator pistol used a metal nail, and the better 3D arms have metal barrels, rifled using other craft methods that require some know-how, but arguably less than it took to manufacture a Ludi gun. 3D printed arms have been confiscated by police around the world, but in recent months, they've begun to crop up somewhere new, in the arms of revolutionaries fighting against a military coup. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Myanmar, Burma before that, has had relatively strict gun control laws for decades. When George Orwell was a policeman there in the 1920s, he may have carried a gun, but the people he was policing did not. In the 1930s, the British leaders allowed TAT organisations, similar to militias, to form and drill, but they weren't allowed to carry guns. Gun licences under the dictatorship were issued primarily to party members, but most were revoked after a 1988 failed pro-democracy uprising. The only civilians who were permitted to own arms were the Chin, the nation's poorest ethnic group, who rely on guns to hunt for food. In many cases, these guns were flintlocks that would not have looked that out of place on a battlefield two centuries before. In practice, though, things are very different. The current conflict is best seen as a flare-up in violence that has been ongoing since Britain left the country in 1947. The Tatmadaw has consistently used violence against marginalised ethnic groups in the country, and they have consistently taken up arms in response. But, unlike civil wars in the Middle East, Wealthy nations in the West have not been flooding Myanmar with weapons for decades, and the various EAOs, or ethnic armed organisations, have had to turn to much more unorthodox routes to arm and equip themselves against the government. To get a better idea of what things are like on the ground, we spoke to Pierre. He's French, but he's a serial volunteer with national liberation struggles around the world, and fought with the Karen people in the early 2000s. Yes, uh, so the, the, the ammunition... Uh, is a constant uh, problem. The shortage is uh, 
absolutely permanent. And uh, yes, the, 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 there is two sources uh, for the for the for the weapons. There is the black market, and uh, the prices, especially of ammunition, are prohibitive. This is where I would uh, like to uh, have my uh, notebook here with me because I think I wrote down a conversation I had with some uh, leaders of the KNLA at the time, asking them uh, why we didn't do uh, more operations. And we're like, yeah, we just can't afford it. Uh, you know, uh, we just can't afford it. Like uh, strictly, we we don't we we don't have enough uh, ammunition to do any kind of. Uh, of uh, operation we need to so all the operations we did were always focused on if we could capture some ammunition uh, if we could capture like uh, weapons but especially ammunition yeah so there is you know that, that's the second source of uh, of course of uh, of weapon uh, let's say source huh? is the is the captures of course then the black market. Uh, the black market uh, used to be huge in Cambodia. I don't know what's the situation now. It was in the 90s. Uh, there was, uh, it was a bit uh, the Albania of uh, Southeast Asia at this time, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, so there is also the other ethnic groups that uh, receive uh, sometimes, uh, say, uh, a lot of... Uh, of um, of arms and ammunition from uh, sponsors, huh? like uh, some of them, like the West State Armies, are sponsored by China. So, like the, their supply of ammunition is pretty good. Of uh, of weapons, they, I think they, they even have uh, like artillery and stuff. Um, then there is uh, other ethnic groups that also produce uh, locally quite good. Huh? Their their own uh, their on uh, arms, light arms usually. So yeah, these these are the, the different sources of uh, what comes to, okay. in in the time I was there. In the early weeks of the protests, once it became clear that non-violent demonstrators were going to be met with state violence, protesters began to fashion weapons. First, they fought soldiers with assault rifles using catapults and bows and arrows. It was incredibly brave, but it wasn't very effective. By the 28th of March, protesters had taken a step further. A group calling itself the Calais Civil Army set up barricades and defended them using pressurized air rifles that fired marbles and bicycle wheel bearings. The rifles all used the same design and the same components. They were based on a video someone found on YouTube, but they weren't lethal. They helped protesters defend their space, albeit at great cost. In that first clash, four protesters and four soldiers were killed. The protesters in Calais were able to hold out a few days. Using old hunting rifles and air guns, they ambushed military patrols, and they took four police hostage. Then they exchanged them for nine incarcerated protesters. But in early April, the Tatmadaw returned to the protest camp in Calais with rocket-propelled grenades and machine guns and killed 11 people. We must fight back against them. If not, our generation will face a worse situation than us. They have no laws, a neighbourhood villager who battled the regime's forces told the Irrawaddy, a local paper. The air guns spread around the country quickly. 
To avoid surveillance, protesters talked about cooking up biryani on Telegram channels. And what they meant was desperately scouring the internet for a way to fight back and finding a way to make an air rifle out of a butane canister, a pipe, and a cigarette lighter. Combined with fireworks and smoke bombs made of potassium nitrate, the air rifle gave protesters just enough cover to escape police charges. But they also gave the junta an excuse to further escalate the violence. Attitudes are hardening among the protesters too. In Mandalay, they took air rifles to the barricades on Saturday. Hardly a match for the weapons of war they face. But now they know this is a fight to the death. And more destruction after a fire raged in Pijidagun Township overnight. People living there, but kept away by security forces, returned to find 60 homes burned to the ground. Now all they can do is pick through the ashes, trying to save anything from the military's policy of scorched earth. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. 
Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Even the Tatmadaw makes its own weapons, a highly unusual move for a relatively small nation. Tatmadaw troops and police can be seen with a bewildering array of indigenously produced copies of M16s, Uzis, and even 5.56 Galil pattern AK-style rifles, as well as M3 light machine guns, which are slightly updated copies of the MG42 used by the Nazis in World War II. After the failed 8888 uprisings in 1988, the military offered concessions to China in return for more advanced weapons. They got them, but it didn't stop China from also supplying ethnic-armed organizations. EAOs don't have access to the same munitions factories that the government does, but there is a long tradition of homemade weapons in Myanmar. In more remote parts of the country, homemade air rifles and shotguns seem to have been relatively commonplace before the start of the conflict, and they were mostly used for hunting. The country is also covered with landmines, which the EAOs use to great effect against the Tatmadaw. We spoke to Pierre, a former combatant with the Karin who no longer lives in Myanmar. His experience is not that recent, but it helps us to understand the way this conflict has been fought for decades. What we, we used to do to produce a lot of uh, uh, landmines. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, <laughs> what we produce at the base, yes. Okay. Uh, with, uh, like, you know, very, very rough uh, systems with a uh, little bit of... Uh, of uh, one type of uh, plastic explosive, a couple of uh, bamboo for contactors, and uh, and uh, like a battery. That's it. Pellet guns are not good for combat, and EAOs mostly relied on weapons imported from Thailand, India, or China. Overwhelmingly, these were AK or M16 pattern rifles. Yeah, mostly in my in, in the units I've been there is. Uh, Probably a majority of uh, AK platforms in this time, yes. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah, it's it more uh, reliable and, uh, you know, simple to operate. It's uh, very adapted to the, to the, to the type of guerrilla. No, it, was, uh, it was quite correct. I mean, uh, I sw- from the moment that I switched to uh, AKs, uh, at least, uh, because... Uh, at first, I tried to use this uh, super fancy uh, M16, and uh, it was a nightmare of uh, malfunctions. <laughs> yeah. So I switched back to a case, which is the, the, what I best know and used <laughs> on my girls. <laughs> and yeah. doesn't have this... Uh, I never really had any, any malfunction with the case. Maybe one time with a faulty lot of ammunition, but that's it. Not really the rifle's foot. The fight, Pierre says, has never been restricted to the battlefield. For the Tatmadaw, violence against civilians is part of their Four Cuts doctrine that cuts off funding, food, intelligence, and recruits for the EAOs. Now they are moving that same outlook to the cities. They are like uh, literally, uh, uh, literally abide by absolutely no laws uh, of uh, war or uh, else. Uh, I mean... Like uh, one of the first things that I saw when we went uh, going patrolling in the in the Karen uh, villages huh? uh, uh, around uh, our zone of, uh, of uh, operation is that uh, there was absolutely no girl between the age of uh, eleven to the age of uh, seventeen. I was like, I, I ask uh, 
you know, uh, my uh, my uh, commander about it. And he says, yeah, like, uh, obviously, if they, if they stay here, they will be raped by the Tatmado and the first patrol. Like, the first time they will, uh, they will come, you know. So this, this gives you a little bit of the tone of uh, what they are about. They constantly uh, ransom civilians uh, when they don't murder them. Uh, like, uh, you know, um, shell villages uh, for no reason or because uh, there had been uh, an operation of the KNLA. And they take revenge on uh, who they can take revenge on with the civilians. Uh, you know, uh, this, is, this is how they behave. This is who they are, basically. The Tatmadaw is a large army, and many of the conscripts are hardly high-speed operator types. But that hasn't stopped them from killing thousands of innocent civilians. I mean, uh, they have, uh, as uh, many army, uh, different uh, units uh, with uh, different uh, military value. Uh, let's say, uh, you know, um, many times uh, the, the units uh, that uh, they stuck on a hilltop in the middle of a rebel zone are not uh, like the most combative, let's say, uh, but uh, sometimes you get surprised at the resistance. But uh, yeah, uh, except of that, uh, when they do uh, an operation in uh, in a place they bring in uh, like uh, more uh, uh, elite troops, let's say. By contrast, the KNLA, the Karini National Liberation Army, and other EAOs relied on civilian support to survive. The KNLA operates in, uh, in uh, Karen uh, territory, and the civilians are Karen. I mean, uh, um, pretty much uh, when, we, when we arrive in... Uh, in a village, there's, uh, there's medics, you know, that uh, with us that uh, take care of the population, uh, distribute um, medicine. Uh, no, like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's like uh, quite, uh, it's quite a funny accusation uh, coming from the Tatmano. This attitude has helped them, Pierre says, and they have always been open to non-Karin recruits. First of all, it's not, absolutely not a, um, let's say, uh, some kind of uh, ethnicist or organization or uh, ethno-nationalist, like, uh, you know, with uh, some hate for uh, other ethnic groups, in- including the Bama ethnic group that, uh, like, traditionally, you know, uh, is the, is, are the leaders of uh, the Tatmado that have been oppressing them for uh, 70 years, but they have absolutely no uh, resentment and they are extremely open to work with uh, Democrats, uh, uh, democratic forces uh, from, uh, from every ethnic group, in fact, yes. Since 1988, Pierre said, the KNLA had been willing to link up with democratic rebels, providing them with training and shelter in order to further their shared goal of a federal and democratic country that treated all ethnicities with respect. So PDF, so these uh, Bama rebels, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. also trained by the Karens and uh, also by uh, people I know very well since uh, it was my uh, commander then, uh, Nerda Bomia. So I've seen, I've seen uh, the, uh, the, the Karens have always been extremely accommodating to uh, the, the Bamar uh, opposition, meaning the, the, the Bamar are the, the main ethnic group. I, I'd say this for, mm-hmm. for people that might not know the difference. So, and so the, the Karens always had uh, representation and um, they, they took uh, like... Uh, 
you know, uh, political refugees, let's say, from, uh, from uh, inside uh, Burma in the territories they control. In Manor Clause, there was uh, like the Student uh, Association, which exact name I can't recall right now, but uh, all these are uh, Bama organization uh, of uh, opposition. And so yeah. now they, they keep this tradition by uh, helping the, the, uh, these uh, new uh, rebels of the PDF to get military training. And uh, yes. By the summer of 2020, young people had flooded into the jungles, and many of them, even the ones of Burman ethnicity, were fighting alongside the Karin and Karini rebels they'd previously seen as troublemakers and terrorists just a year or two before. We spoke with one of these people, Zaw Lin, who left his home in May of 2021. There was students, friends, but also young people from just the neighborhood. Most people were just above 20. A lot of them were single. You know, there's women as well. People who knew technology, young people from the from the technology, computer uh, colleges, Lycott University. A lot of these people who knew modern technology went into the jungle to go in the jungle to train and be able to overthrow the Minamai government. So there was, it was very tiring. We had to go up and down a lot of hills. It was two days of walking to get there, going up and down the hills and back down, up and down until we got to the training camp. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.